let's do this like quick 20 quick 20 on this quick 20 yeah <laughs> we should be able to pull that off since now i feel like we're gonna have a lot to talk about with this who knows we did a whole watch party on 2001 and our listeners should have took part in that therefore we don't have to do a deep dive into the first movie the way we we normally do you know i think that's a good intro so i'm just gonna start talking about Thank it you. welcome to this new episode what, what is this show called uh aaron and justin have fun with movies <laughs> we're saddled with this long title maybe we need to change that up for our next season aaron and justin talk sequels in movies podcast changing the title that might be too far what if we say a and j do the sequel thing that and Thang Ooh. would be spelled T-H-A-N-G. That sounds very 80s. Um, really? I was so thinking more just... 90s. Okay. Aaron and Justin talk sequels with a Z instead of an S at the end. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. And we'll, uh, we'll and, and for our new video, we'll just be drinking Ecto Cooler the whole time. Like, that'll be our thing. That will be genius. <laughs> hey, spoilers. And then we come back a couple episodes later, and you're like, so I have psoriasis from Ecto Cooler. <laughs> Just want, just want to let you know that's what happens. Yes, it was hurting the children of the nation. We're lucky that High C is still in business. There was just a big cover-up. So we're back. We're back. To talk about the sequel to 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is called, you know what it's called. 2010, The Year We Make Contact. I imagine that you just got done with 2001 and you just were so riveted mm-hmm. that you jumped right in here. If you're confused, we're going to do a short recap of what you just watched. Me and Aaron were talking about the ending of 2001 and what it exactly meant. And he had read the book. He had some ideas about what happened to that guy when he went through the monolith. In the meantime, I accidentally found the 2001 A Space Odyssey comic book adaption written and drawn by Jack Kirby. You have that? I don't have it. Oh, I would love that you had it. But it is available for free on whatever archive that is that has, it's, I don't know, it's on the (laughs) internet for free in some internet library. Give it to me. And I read it. Um, And it's PDF format, so it's just a pain in the ass to read. And they basically confirm most of your suspicions from the end of last episode. So the aliens created that room, that place, for him to live the last of his normal life in comfort. Mm -hmm. They rapidly age him over the course of about 90 minutes. The concept that he keeps seeing himself is almost like deja vu. It's happening so fast for him that it's just completely hard for him to keep straight. Gotcha. And then he dies in bed in the monolith, shoots the beam on him, and changes. It basically uses everything that he was to turn him into the star child. Yes. Which is a new species of life that they were trying to create. And the comic book ends with, but how can you have a new society? With just one member, mm. question mark. Yeah. I've been trying to find that for quite a long time. And I and I was thinking maybe they would have it on, because it was a Marvel thing, wasn't it? Right. I looked yeah. at all the relevant places and you couldn't buy it. I don't have it on the app and I don't know why, because it was a big deal that Jack Kirby did it and I would have loved to read it. So It was pretty. What other little snippet came out of that? There was something else relevant. 
But we don't have to talk about the comic anymore because this movie, the sequel. Let's talk first impressions or impressions first. Did you like this film? I did like it. I was happy with the production design and the spare no spare no expense attitude that I felt that they gave to it. They tried to make it um, as big as they could, and Peter Himes. If that's how you say his name, I thought he did a good job directing. I think Roy Scheider is a great lead. He's always great in every movie he's in. And he adds a dimension to the Haywood Floyd character that the original actor, and I don't know his name, never really did, but also never really got the chance to in the original film. Right. And I've never seen Helen Mirren as a young lady, I don't think. So that was also something I liked about the film. I was like, okay, this is all this is all pretty good. I liked it. Yeah, and the reviews are exactly how you think. I'm in the same boat. This was a really good movie. All the reviews kind of said the exact same thing. This is a good movie, if not for the fact that it's a sequel to 2001, one of the best movies ever made. Outside of the fact that it has a huge older brother that it can never live up to, this is awesome. Ah, I'm such a fan. So (laughs) I love that this movie starts with explaining to the audiences what exactly happened in the last movie (laughs) they had to they knew they had to at that point in order for a sequel to exist it probably helps that you understand the first movie it's coming from right so they were just like and a lot of people don't so maybe we should give them a little something and they hit the pain points they hit there was a signal from the moon to jupiter that they sent a ship there they knew that everybody died and that that guy disappeared and so obviously the big difference between this movie and the first one is that this is a normal narrative structure and not i'm going to make a silent movie and only have them speak when absolutely necessary right it's edited like a sci-fi thriller in in the certainly in the fashion of Alien and Blade Runner, you know Star Wars, even you know just movies that like oh this is what audience want. We got to kind of keep up the pace. We can't just be artsy and shit like Kubrick was. Like in between two thousand one and two thousand ten, we had so many. We have George Lucas. All those movies I just mentioned. Thank you. Yeah, we had Alien. <laughs> we had are you going to mention ones I didn't Blade mention? Runner. Let me hear. <laughs> what do you got? And so the black hole, the design, You're right? The the, the design movie, aesthetic. Hole, I forgot about that one. <laughs> is different. So yes, the landscape of movie watching had changed, and we see that. But I love that you're able to explain those differences in that it's a Russian ship. You know, like because they left a lot of st- like they left all the buttons and a lot of the design similar but it was just darker and grungier like we're used to it doesn't negate the first movie because we get to revisit the stranded ship that's still circling jupiter Mm -hmm. the discovery maybe the biggest difference in the way uh, kubrick made his film in 68 69 and the way peter himes would make 2010 the sequel is space truckers as you say Right? Like that didn't exist. The space truckers were not a 60s thing. The space truckers were a late 70s into early 80s thing. So this movie had to grab on to that. And we're still getting things from, you know? Like we still live off that kind yeah. of sci-fi. And I'm I'm happy to still live in that world because it feels like the most lived in. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like you had to make these things kind of dirty because humans are dirty creatures and we abuse things like technology and things that we live in and ships and, st- and our vehicles and shit. So like that's the big thing. Like Dave Bowman and Frank Poole, the two astronauts from 2001, 
were so goddamn clean and anal that the ship looked pristine. But that world is is now gone. In the year 2010, we're just living in space, and we're also living on the Earth. Uh, but we're just trying to get by, and we're we're messing things up, you know. So I think that was a big difference. Even Haywood Floyd seems to have turned into a different person since he got unceremoniously kicked out of NASA or whatever whatever their space program was. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to touch on before we start summarizing this bitch, uh, this movie is absolutely stacked with acting talent. Mm-hmm. Roy Scheid- Shire? Scheider? Scheider. Roy Scheider. Shader. Shader. If I'm looking through his filmography right, this was kind of his last big movie. I could see that because I can't think of him in much after, other than character role, like smaller supporting roles. You know, he would pop up. Yes, that is where he's at after this. We have Helen Mirren who... It's almost like she spent her career in supporting roles and now she's like... She graduated into that fine older awesome actress that appears in everything and is a really good time yeah she's like up with meryl streep maybe not as academy friendly as meryl streep but she's still kind of up there where they were graced with being accept- acceptable to see as old <laughs> whereas a lot of women in hollywood are not allowed to be old and to age gracefully unless they just want to play grandma roles and mother roles and it's getting like better it is because you know who I think about? I think about Jennifer Lawrence. And I just think, like, already she, she like, had her day. I think she's just going to do low-key stuff for, like, maybe another 10, 20 years. But then she'll pop up again as a Meryl Streep type. I hope so, because I love her. Yeah, she's good. We have John Lithgow, which I don't even think we need to talk about him. He's... No, and Lithgow was, like, the go-to guy in anything. And he was up for it, you know? And, like, that's the thing about Lithgow is that he always brings his A-game. He just... is He's himself. He never... <laughs> He never is anyone else, right? Even when he was like a villain in Cliffhanger, he's John Lithgow. But you believe him if he's a scientist, a friendly grandpa or father, or he's a villain. Oh, that's twisted because that's kind of real. That's how I always felt about Lithgow. Or he was on Third Rock from the Sun. Like he's the exact same Lithgow. (laughs) And yet something about his talent he brings he brings out a different side to his himself or something like that. Okay, so Roy Scheider is Haywood Floyd reprised or... A new actor playing the same character from the original. Uh, Lithgow is Kernow. Kernow. Kernow, yeah. who designed the Discovery. Helen Mirren is the captain of the Russian ship Tanya, and she was a very believable Russian. It was nice. She was, yeah. If I didn't know who she became, I would have thought she was a Russian actress. Absolutely. We have Bob Balaban, better known as the head of NBC. <laughs> the on president Seinfeld. of NBC on Seinfeld. Totally. The president of NBC. Yeah. Um, he's good George he's so good yeah because he is like Hal right like he's Hal and he like created it in his, in his own image almost he's in the movie as the creator of Hal who is sent to turn Hal back on so they can figure out what the hell happened I was sure he was gonna be a villain but I kind of like that they didn't make him a villain I was thinking that too we have Kier Duella, Dulia Kier Delay, I think is how you say his name Dulay, the guy that played David Bowman in the original. They brought him back to continue his story, which if I have a letdown in this movie, it's that they didn't really do a lot with the Star Child. They didn't know what to do with him, but they felt it necessary to bring him back. He did a lot of stuff between 2001 and this. And, he, and his age is kind of showing. Like He doesn't look like the same 
you know, it's been a good 12 or 14 years since he was shooting 2001. I don't really recognize any of the stuff that he's in in films. Like, he's never not been busy, but I don't really recognize much of it. And so we have Douglas Rain returning as the voice of Hal. So they really got everybody back except for whoever the hell Haywood Floyd was. Yeah. You know, because 2001 was like a beloved film, but it wasn't. I still don't think, even in the early 80s, it was talked as legendary, like the way an untouchable, the way we would talk about it now. So I still think that there was a there, there was an overall feeling that like it wasn't crazy to make a sequel of it. But it might have been still something a hurdle with the fact that Kubrick didn't want anything to do with it. I don't know. We have Peter Parker's landlord from Spider-Man 2 in here. He's good. Like that guy's um, great, right? The chemistry between Lithgow and yeah. him, uh, he plays Maxim was great they bonded there was a friendship you felt bad when maxim died it's a high point of the film it really is there's one actress in here who only appears for a minute on earth mary joe deschanel playing the widow of bowman is she the mother of she is the mother of of zoe deschanel and her sister who was on that bone show oh is that her sister yep oh yeah it's Zoe awesome and like the other one. I can't remember her name. No offense to her. So absolutely stacked cast. Once again, the plot, pretty straightforward. It's weird because this plot might be as straightforward as 2001, but somehow they don't... I know that it's a masterpiece and that it's groundbreaking, but oh, the way Kubrick decides to tell stories... Ugh. <laughs> Because, yeah, this plot is just as simple, uh, but they somehow make it much more compelling. I don't know. You can say that. Uh, That's fine. It's just, it's a more of a modern, it's more of an audience pleaser film. Which I don't know It looks a little more, yeah, I don't know how either, but it looks a little more watchable. You know why? Because you have more, well, because Kira Dulay does a great job as Frank Bowman, but everybody is so bland in that film because they're just clinical and they're just straightforward, serious astronauts. This is true. And you really only get him and the way Hal's voice is. You really only have the two of them for like the last half of the film. So immediately when you have a cast of actors with different personalities, like obviously that's a more watchable film. Like I'm not saying it makes the less the other one not as good, but it's just inherently more watchable because you have people that you can as an audience can maybe relate to or enjoy where you really can't do that with Hal or Dave. You just kind of experience their journey. And that's it. Yeah, that's pretty good. Because if you took the Americans out of this movie and it was just the Russians doing their job, it probably would have been a lot more along the lines of the original in terms of them just executing their mission and going about their business. Because Russians are inherently boring. They don't have any life to them. They're just dead eyes, right? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> um this is coming from somebody who's never been to russia but that's the way movies have raised me to believe and what do they do when you finally get a fun russian like robin williams in moscow on the hudson he's american pretending to be russian that's why you enjoy it (laughs) am i right oh Oh my God! Do you like that movie? I've never seen You've it. Never seen? Oh, it's really good. Yeah, he's Russian. Is it? I mean, it's Rob Williams. He's of course he's good, and he's a good Russian. Yeah. And he makes being Russian fun, whereas no one Rest else in, in, in the world has ever showed me how Russians can be fun. Who's a fun Russian in a movie? Nobody. <laughs> yeah, that silence indicates no Very one. Serious, 
serious people with no entertainment in their lives whatsoever. That's what Russia has always stood for me. I mean, all they ever do is train bears to ride bicycles. Yeah. Like, I don't... Like crazy yeah. clown shit back in the 80s. That's all I ever knew about. Probably from Billy Joel. Yeah. <laughs> and Chevy Chase movies. Yeah. That was a call-out. I said probably from Billy Joel. That was a call-out to those Billy yeah, Joel fans out it. there because he was one of the only American artists to tour the US, uh, USSR back in the 80s. And he met a really? guy uh, who was a circus clown and from Leningrad, and he wrote a whole song about it called Leningrad. So that's what I knew about Russians back then is that they were a circus clown. <laughs> and they were sad. They were like Pe- uh, Pegli- Pegliucci or whatever, that sad clown. Like that was yeah that was another part of Russia that I knew about. They were sad clowns and serious drunks. <laughs> How do we get off on this tangent? I don't know. This is just me so, talking. My point is, movies have made me believe things about cultures that that's all I think. That's all wrong. I know about them. I don't know anything yeah. about them. Yeah. Okay, so Roy Scheider's character Haywood Floyd was unceremoniously kicked out of NASA or whatever their space program is because he was the guy that sent the Discovery mission to Jupiter to find out where that signal came from. And the guys, everybody died, you know, because hell went crazy. And they never heard from Dave Bowman again. He just disappeared. So a Russian comes to Roy Scheider, who's just been to Haywood Floyd, who's just been working with satellites or ground things or whatever, uh, and says, we also are, the Russians are going to check out Discovery. The Americans are going to go check out Discovery. Russians going to get there first because we're just quicker with our building of ships. Do you want to come with us? And he's just like, yeah, okay. So he goes and gets his team together, the guy who created HAL and the guy who built Discovery. They head to Jupiter to find the Discovery to see if they can figure out what happened to Dave Bowman. I just wanted to get us that far because I just wanted to say this and then move on from it. You know, I was talking about the book a lot when we recorded the watch party and that the book which 2001 didn't go into really is that that is that the cold war was still going on and they had like nukes in space and stuff and and there was still a lot of distrust between the americans and the russians so that's what 2010 kind of plays with a lot it's a plot device yes so the fact that the russians and the americans would kind of work together is kind of unheard of but the Russians feel like if they can get the Americans to kowtow to their demands, it makes them look good. And if the Americans can do the same with the Russians, it makes them look good. So their presidents are both like, oh, yeah, let's let this happen because we're going to look like we're the bigger, the cooler country or whatever. So that's how they get on a Russian ship that heads to Discovery because they're just not ready to go. I don't know why the Americans are so far behind. They don't really explain but for some reason, the Russians yeah, have part, this thing already yeah. built. So that gets them out there. And then it's really just kind of a straight, like you said, it's a straightforward film from that point where it's all about, okay, we have to spacewalk to get to Discovery. And that's something with Lithgow becomes friends with the Russian because he hyperventilates. Oh, that was stressful. It was. And then they get to Discovery. And then they hook up a little air escalator that they can connect the ships which was cool and then they get discovery working again and then the guy who built hal goes over and and gets hal working again that while this is going on they're hearing news from home that the americans and russians are like war is escalated probably a nuclear one or whatever and so let's talk that through so they're just trying to figure out what happened that's the goal of the mission is we want to know what happened nine years ago they have an idea but they don't know they think hal knows they turn him back on and then they discover The movie only commits one crime, making Hal an innocent victim. 
and not a menacing computer. Yeah. They explain that Hell was programmed to complete the mission even in the events that the crew uh, was killed or died. If anything bad happened, Hell was ordered to complete the mission. Right. And so when he heard the two astronauts talking about shutting him off, that conflicted with the mission and he had to eliminate them to make sure that he could complete the mission. But they also explain how he was conflicted because he couldn't tell them about the mission as well. Yeah, he was programmed to lie. Right. Which is against the code of the computer and his creator is all pissy about being told to lie. Roy Scheider's mad because he didn't know about it that the military was or the White House was involved. Yeah, and he apparently signed off on it. But this is kind of like details that don't really matter. Yeah, it you doesn't, know, to the movie. Yeah. But you're right in that it's it's not the satisfying reason that I think the movie public wanted to find out about Hal. It kind of made him just like a little kid, like he's sorry. Yes, he didn't mean to. He didn't mean to um, accidentally strangle those baby rabbits. He was just curious what would happen. <laughs> he's just a kid. Yeah, essentially. And so they get another message from Earth that says, okay, we're at war. All Americans have to get off the Russian ships or be arrested. All Russians have to stay off of American ships or be arrested. Like, they're going to listen. Like, why do they have to listen, though? They didn't have to listen to that. The Americans don't give two shits. The Russians give a little bit of a shit, but not They should have just done a... What? No, I... You're you're breaking... I can't hear you. You're breaking up. This is where we have to talk about Dave. We see his widow on Earth, and he shows up on a TV. And I like, he just says, I used to be Dave, and I just was calling to tell you goodbye. And then we see his mother in an old folks home, and he shows up and tells her goodbye, and yeah. she dies. He apparently doesn't, even as a star child, he doesn't even know how to brush hair. It was really bothering me. Like, he would brush it down, and then he would, then it would, like, go up against her hair again, and lift it all up, and rat it out and then it would come down again and i'm like clearly they came up with some sort of in-camera effect to do this to make it look invisible like an invisible hand but it did not look good and it was bothering me i'm like really with all your godlike powers you can't even brush your mother's fucking hair that's the funny thing about this movie is how they did better special effects in 68 than they did Mm. in this movie 2001 was such a pure technical achievement it just still couldn't even be matched well what's funny is they were using contemporary kind of special effects but it's all in the way you use it i guess yes there was a little too much going on with their composites and green screens like if the two like if the brush wasn't gonna work for kubrick the hair brushing he wouldn't have put it in whereas this company is just like or this film's like but we really need it and it's that's the best we can do good enough yeah i would have done close up on her hair being brushed without seeing the hand and then cut to the tv monitor where we see the brush moving from a distance without a hand Mm -hmm. and then it could get the implied effect Yeah. yeah well again in the original movie it was supposed to be saturn not jupiter that they go to but all of their testing to try to make saturn with its rings looked like garbage to him so he's just like this isn't i keep we can't pull this off these rings let's make it jupiter instead then we don't have to worry about rings yeah good you gotta think about those things bowman the last time he really shows up he sends them a message well or roy scheider a message that tells him that there's something in the water and that he has to get everybody off the beach and then <laughs> for whatever reason the movie switches to uh. jaws three it's the biggest twist i've 
ever seen in yes. one of these movies. It was the biggest cut since the ape man threw the bone in the air Through... to satellite. Yes. And then you just watched the ending of Jaws 3 and it just really confused audiences. But there, there the is a belief that that the print may have accidentally got spliced with Jaws 3, but that we, did, we just don't know if... That if is an urban not. legend. <laughs> I looked, I googled that. Yes, okay. You keep all of that in. Um, <laughs> Bowman tells the Scheider that they have to leave in two days, no matter what. Why couldn't and you just tell ordered... him? Why? I think he's just a child relaying messages. Okay, I like this movie, but I think it, it has like now that we've talked about it, it's got three little sins. The first is, what, what did you say the first one was? Oh, is that Hal, they made him just an innocent in the whole thing, yeah. which I, I agree with you. Like, he, he was a little menacing, and he should have been. It worked, but I didn't like it. Exactly. It yeah. worked, but I didn't I didn't like it either. The second is that 2001 ends with David Bowen, Bowen being a godlike creature, and yet this movie doesn't know what to do with him, and they kind of just have him hanging out like some homeless dude, doesn't know where to go. Just zipping back to Jupiter and Earth, messing with his ex-wife and his mom. Like, it's pretty lame yeah. to use your powers in that way. And then three, he does the screenwriting crime that I always hate and that it has to be a riddle or they can't tell you just what they can just, if they would just say what the fuck's going on, it would make more sense. But they can't do that or the plot won't get moved forward. So that's why they just keep it obscure. And I hate that kind of writing. I love when you bring that up because I... A lot of times I cannot pick up on it in a movie and it helps me when you say it out loud that it's like, yes, they're just doing that gimmick and it's, it is kind of a crime. It is because he just has to say, you have to leave in two days. Why? Something wonderful is going to happen. No, don't say something wonderful is going to happen. He should have said like, well, what is this wonderful thing? Oh, uh, Jupiter's going to become a new sun and we're going to build life on this other planet. So you might want to, you know, get out of the way. That's all he had to say. Oh. Yeah, oh, yeah. shit. Yeah, let's get out of here. He goes to the Russians. Okay, so they're making us new sun. It's going to blow. <laughs> We're going to die. We have to leave now. Right. I have this plan. Wouldn't they have yeah. all just been like, I'm glad you told us? <laughs> you know? Because we could have wasted a lot more time. That was very grown up of you. <laughs> but no, they're not going to do that. They're just going to make us wonder with his little obscure line or his confusing line. Something wonderful is going to happen. And we have to sit around for another half hour. So, uh, Roy Scheider goes to Helen Mirren. He convinces her that they have to leave. And then that's when they make the decision. Because the whole time, they're like, fuck the government. Who gives a shit? We're scientists. They combine the ships, because both of them only have enough fuel to get home slowly. If they combine them, they can get home quicker. And so they decide to just get rid of the Discovery and go home on the Russian ship. But in the meantime, we have this moment. Let's back up and cover... Max dying. Oh, yeah. Lithgow yeah, and right. Max are friends. The Russians decide to send Max out on a probe to make contact with the monolith. And he does, and then the monolith blows him up. And then we have to go back a little further. When they first get to Jupiter, they discover that there's the beginnings of what was it? Chlorophyll. Yeah. On the moon Europa, which is a famous, it's one of the planets that we know for a fact is full of water and full of ice. Yeah. And so it's always been suspected to be able to have life, even though it's so far away from the sun. And that's a fun part of Arthur Clarke's writing is that he throws in a lot of foundational stuff. Well, yeah, like he, he takes the term science fiction kind of seriously. Like he makes sure there's science yeah. in it with the fiction. You know, like Jules Verne wrote like that as well. 
And Jules Verne famously uh, was always on the outs with H.G. Wells because he just felt like he kind of passed over the science part for a pure sensational <laughs> fiction, like War of the Worlds and stuff like that. So that I, I just love that fact that Verne, uh, Jules Verne was always a little pissed at H.G. Wells because he didn't take the science seriously. That's funny. I like that. And then the other thing, when they discover that there's chlorophyll on the planet, they send a probe down. That also gets shot up by something that we don't see. So what happens to Max? Because Dave did the same thing, which, again, Kubrick left it obscure. Maybe I've said the word obscure too much, but he didn't put that in there where Bowman went to the monolith. Like, you don't really see that he went to the monolith. You just see that he's in a pod and all of a sudden he's in the Stargate. But what that implied is that he went toward the monolith and then the monolith like opened up and he went into the Stargate. But Max did the same thing. Why didn't he go into the monolith? Did he just like, was it Bowman who like shot so, some laser at him and, and then he went off into space? I wasn't really clear on what exactly happened to Max. That is another failing of this movie is that the audience is anticipating another moment like the end of 2001. Where Max where monolith- is now the new star child. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that is not the case. They yeah. just had the monolith um, just blow him up. But it, it was Bowman, right? Because I feel like Bowman was that energy that was shooting from Jupiter and then shot back from Earth. And then it kind of looked like the same effect. I don't know. I mean, I think the cons- the reveal is supposed to be that the monolith that was on Europa at the end is what shot the probe. Mm. So I, I don't know. The, I don't know. The, Monoliths might just be shooting stuff up. But why would the monolith kill Max? That was Hal's thing where Hal was killing people. The monolith was a was way beyond murder and like it was supposed to advance humankind. Like why would it kill him? It's a great point. I love the <laughs> I love the concept that Max was on his on the road to becoming a star child. I like that I, idea. That's what I think. I think he entered the monolith, he went through his own Stargate, and uh, we don't get to see. We can leave Yeah, reason. because they assume he's dead because that part of the movie is beyond their understanding at all. Right. They have no idea there's a star child. And so, yeah, yes, in their eyes, true. he would just be dead. And so in a post credit scene, there's a Russian star child that's like, rent, where's my rent? <laughs> that's, a, that's all. We, that's what we missed out on, fortunately. Oh, He's a, he's a good boy. So he, he, Something's wrong. He, he's a good boy. The monolith just straight up disappears, and they go home. Why did it disappear? It's... <laughs> because the monolith floating in space near Jupiter was huge. Huge. I think they said it was like two kilometers, right? Which is like, I don't know, a mile and some change. Because space people use the metric system. Right. But the, but the monolith, because the monolith on Europa was not the same monolith. or Nor was it yeah, the same I think as that the one that was on the Yeah, I think that was a baby monolith. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it just disappears. They don't explain okay. it. That was weird. And then they go home. And then the only fear is that they have to destroy the discovery, which means they have to destroy. Well, they don't even have to. They just have to leave it behind. They want to lie to Hal because Hal has to control the burn. He no humans can't control or can't calculate it accurately yeah. enough. And there's this whole thing about his creator not lying to him and being mm. honest with him because that's what he deserves. Well, and to his credit, you see what happens when you mess with Hal's programming. And I think uh, Bob Balaban was conscious of that. So yeah, he took it on himself to be honest with Hal. And Hal says, thank you. Thank you for being honest with me. Yeah. And his story kind of ends from there. Balaban even offers to stay with Hal and die mm. with him. And he's like, nah, it's okay. Yeah, you're good. Cool. You're fine. You're fine. So yeah, that's kind of it. But then we almost get 
our post-credit scene built into the ending how a post-credit scene should be hal and discovery are just left floating and bowman talks to hal and he's like hey man i need you to send one more message to me or to earth for me and he's like all right dave can you do a good hal yes dave whatever you would like dave i will send this message dave that's that would all, interrupt all my programming dave but then I he's like observe jupiter you're right yeah i can do this for you dave yeah, and so they send, the aliens send a message to Earth that's like, hey, do all the discovery you want. All these planets are yours. Stay away from Europa. Hmm. That's the one rule. And then they use a zillion monoliths to trigger Jupiter. Now, that's fun, and in, in my knowledge of astronomy is very limited. Did they mention the monolith, all the monoliths? I mean, they show them. Do they? Did I fall yeah. asleep? I think I might have fallen asleep for like they, a couple they, minutes. Yeah, there's this, there's <laughs> a, they discover just a shadow on Jupiter. Mm. They are able to zoom in and it's just a zillion monoliths. Oh, okay. Multiplying yeah, I did, I did and circling around. Shit. And so essentially scientists had a theory. I don't know if they still have the theory that Jupiter was a failed star because it's just a gas giant. And again, I might be a little off there, but I'm 90% sure. And so they ignited it, created a star. And that made Europa close, in in theory, in the habitable zone, even though that is a little iffy because it's probably a little too close to the star. But maybe the implosion pushed it out of its orbit. Who knows? Or maybe anyway, it's not as big of a star as the sun, maybe. I don't know. Well, yeah, it would definitely be way smaller. And in, in that way, it wouldn't have destroyed Earth because otherwise that would have affected the gravity of all the other planets, yada, yada. It still would have. That gets messy. Anyway, so the first movie is about an unknown alien civilization creating a new species of life, the star child. This movie is about that same civ people creating a star in a planet, assumingly for their new species. Yes. Like they're setting something up. What? We don't know. Yeah. But I, what I do know is the next book lets us know what happened to Hal because oh, Hal okay. was caught in that blast oh. and in theory could have crashed or survived somewhere and then it told us more about somebody else. I don't remember. The next book is 2061. Yeah. And then there's 3010. And 3001. Oh, 3001. The yeah, Final sorry. Odyssey, which again, I have that book, but I want to read the other ones first. I did like the coda that they put on with Roy Scheider saying that people woke up to a second sun in the sky and that a lot of the new people on earth would only know that there was two suns and it was an amazing thing and i kind of like that because from the american and russians point of view a new sun got created and that was it and they survived the blast and they were able to get home but they don't know anything about the monolith on europa so i no. guess that's in the future for them to figure out because they're probably going to go back you know i mean they, they like to go back all the time and figure out what's going on oh yeah did we not say yet the creation of this in the message that bowman sends to earth that says stay away from europa let the Earth know that there was intelligent life out there. They ended the Cold War, peace on Earth, goodwill to men, yada, yada, yada. But they also told them in that message, don't fuck with Europa, right? Yeah. They yeah. said, that one's ours, these other worlds are yours, and I think they meant the other moons, because Jupiter has like 30 moons or something, right? Or a lot. Something. Yeah, but don't mess with Europa, so stay away from there. Will we listen? Absolutely Probably. not. Probably not. 
probably not we the Chinese. We never listen. Now are, are the next ones that are just like, we don't care. We're going to go anyways. Yeah, A Modest Hit had a budget of $28 million. It made $40 million in North America. Cool. It went up against freaking Beverly Hills Cop. So I just don't think anybody realized how big of a fucking movie that was going to be. No, but like, that's two super different movies. <laughs> like... Couldn't people well, yeah. have enjoyed both? Well, people enjoyed both, but uh, it just probably could have made a little more if that didn't exist. Well, here's what I would do. You and time. me would go to the movies and we'd be like, let's do double feature today. We'll go see 2010 and then we'll check out Beverly Hills Cop. Because I think you want to end on Beverly Hills Cop, but we could sell both. Yeah, that was a thing. I wish kids still did this where you went to a movie theater and then you snuck into multiple movies. People didn't know or care. Two things I was happy to learn on this movie was Candace Bergen does the voice of Sal, which is like the hell no shit offshoot yeah but she was credited under a different name for some reason and then tony banks the keyboardist from genesis had originally made the soundtrack but they didn't want it and they got somebody else <laughs> but it was nice to know that tony banks did all that work and i would love to hear it like i wonder what it sounded like because he's an amazing keyboard if you like keyboardists he's an amazing one and i saw him in concert with genesis just a couple months ago so oh really cool. yeah and you saw Genesis just a couple months ago? I saw ago? Genesis, yeah. And Phil Collins, is uh, he sits the whole thing. Like, he can't walk very well, so he just sat the whole time. And his son plays drums now because he used to be the drummer. <laughs> my The first concert I ever saw was my parents took me and my sister Kristen to Phil Collins in 1989 at the really? Palace of Auburn Hills. Yeah, I was only like eight years old. So that was always my first concert was Phil Collins. So it just made sense that 30 years later, uh, Genesis was coming back around. And I was just like, oh, I got to see I gotta see Phil. Anyway, that was the only thing that I thought was cool, and uh... but it was a good movie. But the more we talked about it, the problems that popped out to me. But it didn't ruin the movie for me necessarily. Didn't ruin the movie for me at all. I enjoyed it. I think Roy Scheider's just fun to watch, and he's a great actor, and and he makes things entertaining. Yeah, he has a charisma about him, and I haven't seen a lot of his '70s work where he was huge, except for Jaws. Jaws. I don't think I've even seen Jaws too. Well, those are seriously diminishing returns yeah, there. Each and every time. He was in The French Connection, and then the very next year was in a movie called The French Conspiracy. Is The French Conspiracy the sequel to The French no. Connection? Oh. <laughs> Nothing to do with it. <laughs> no. Because there's funny. a sequel to The French Connection, and that's why I was confused right away. Like, that's not the sequel. You guys. <laughs> hey, you guys. <laughs> That was in the French Connection, <laughs> right? Yeah, it absolutely was. Yeah. Here's the biggest thing that sticks out while we're looking through his filmography. Do you see that he was in Dracula 2 and then Dracula 3? Yes. Now, is that a 2 off the original Bela Lugosi Dracula from the 1930s? This is a sequel to Wes Craven's Dracula. No. The direct to video american romanian vampire film <laughs> it's the sequel to dracula 2000 no way <laughs> which he You're is not right. in it was <laughs> wow he was slumming it yeah like there's I a lot he of wanted to buy it. a boat so he was like yeah I'll, I'll do dracula frank castle senior and then sure and then when dracula 3 came around he's like well i do need to get a slip for it as well all right do that too <laughs> wait that's weird look at this filmography colonel doctor president 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 professor agent colonel mayor governor cardinal 
cardinal judge. <laughs> yeah. He's always a person of authority. Yeah. That's what he plays. That's crazy. And I mean, I obviously remember him from Deceit Sequest. Oh, yeah. Sequest. Right. I never watched it, but I certainly saw the ads for it in all of my comic books. And I feel like anytime he was on Family Guy, he was like, hi, this is Roy Scheider. I watched like the first couple seasons of Family Guy, but that fell off. I, I'm like that, but with The Simpsons. I watched like to season 12 of The Simpsons, and then I don't recall much after that. But the yeah. show really wasn't that great past maybe the 10th. You know, the thing about the Simpsons, because my kids watch The Simpsons all the time. They love it. It was around season nine. I think it was season nine or 10. The show was so good because it was funny and it had heart, right? Like mm-hmm. Homer would be a total fuck up, but it always like ended with him like doing it for the good of the family or like you, you learn some sort of message from it, you know, but it was always inherently funny. But like around season nine, he was just an asshole. Like, he just did things to be a dick, and it ended yeah. with no heart. And that's really when the show thats really when the show went off the rails for me. And, and I'm sure over the course of 33 seasons or whatever, there's maybe a season here and there where they've grabbed hold of that magic from the first ones. But I don't know what season that is, and it's difficult to get through it in order to find it. <laughs> but I'm sure there's like, good episodes out there. There's got to be good episodes oh, there's in the gotta last be. 30 years. Yeah. But you got to wade through the shit in order to find it. well anyway i think that's about it roland emmerich uh, you need to watch moonfall i did watch moonfall i just finished yesterday what a ton of garbage i don't know how like i mean i know at this point i know that he has to go out of the country to get financing now but just a bad movie it was bad in every way it didn't start out horrible it started out like your average disaster movie but once (laughs) the engine went bad on the ship on the spaceship and then she sent everybody home such a failure in writing well we need to get the three of them on the ship like they can pilot and launch a spaceship all on their own it doesn't take the thousand people that we always pretend it does yeah so how do we do that i guess she just sends them all home and says it's broken and then they'll just get on it oh wait it's not broken we can we can make it work so now there's just three of us launching a space shuttle three people uh, that's when it went down the toilet and it just got worse from there and not even and it just was like in this whole B story with the kids trying to like get to safety even though the whole planet's doomed anyways it just was like what a waste of our time but I don't even know if it was better going back to the astronauts and the moon being a megastructure I think they were like they grabbed this idea that like that was really popular and everybody's interested yes. in that theory, but nobody cares. No, that's the worst <laughs> part is like, it's a bad premise. Yeah. It's like one of those fringe things that nobody really knows about until you watch a movie like this. Oh, people believe that? Oh, okay. Ugh. It may be more related to 2010 than we realize. No. Just with this talk about how there's an advanced civilization somewhere else that actually are our ancestors and they helped move human beings along. That makes me want to rewatch Prometheus. Oh, yeah, and Prometheus. Everybody's grabbing from that well that there's some alien species that helped humans become humans. I mean, the pyramids are really fucking big. Really big. I mean, I guess 2001 was one of the first, right? Was there a movie before that that posited that idea in our brains? No way. Aliens helped humans begin. We didn't get serious science fiction until the 50s did we like before that it was probably maybe the 40s but they would have been it would have been books 
you know, it would have been the author. Well, of yeah, our time. we definitely had right. books. But before but, they yeah. started actually making those into films, yeah, it might be 2001. That might have been literally the first movie that kind of threw that idea out there for the general cinema audience. I love 50s science fiction B movies, like the one they remade with Keanu Reeves. Yeah, the, yeah, I know what you're talking about. The, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember what it's called. <laughs> but I love that movie. The like, the original of is the world. fantastic. I mean, like, we, I mean anything the they worlds. did in the, um, twilight zone too you know like all that stuff is, is really fun and they would really tackle yeah. those things and that was 59 when that started you know pre-50s i don't i don't think so much but yeah definitely not in movies yeah it all makes sense one follows the other and i got nothing else yeah you know what this time around just watch listen to more episodes you don't need to do anything else just listen to us and you don't even really need to pay attention to them. Like if you're working and you just need a little background noise or whatever, just throw, yeah. just throw it on. It doesn't hurt anything. We are great background noise. Yeah. Every once in a while, you hear a little interesting tidbit. Uh, until next episode, I'm Justin. I remain Aaron. And we will talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.